everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to Mommy Group. It's Orly's day! That means we are turning the tables on her and we're interviewing her. It's a good one, you guys. This one's gonna be... Wow, I mean, I feel like Orly is full of like awesome surprises and fireworks. <laughs> and there's a couple in there that, you know, we learn about her. Uh, lots of pivotal moments in your life. Yep. Um, I love that you share some of the the softer mom side of you, which oh, I boy. love pulling out. It's so good. Can so. you guess? I may have cried. <laughs> but it's great. You're going to get to know Orly on a whole different level, just as you have me and Brandy in the last two episodes. So get your cup of coffee, settle into your car seat. <laughs> Let's get into it. All right, guys, so if you have been tuning in the last two episodes, we've been interviewing myself, which is Ami here, hello, and Brandy. And now we are turning the tables on Miss Orly Shani. These have been some of my favorite interviews. Mine too. I mean, because they are about us. (laughs) No, but I think it's great. And I think the feedback on both our personal platforms as well as the Mommy Group pod page has been super fun because people are really getting to know each of us individually. Also because I feel like our point of view on everything and our opinions are so strong that it's kind of nice to hear the backstory. Yeah, like why are they? Yeah, like what is their POV? You know, where are they coming from? How are they raised? Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I love this too. I can't wait to hear all all the more stuff. I think from other episodes, we know that you are an L.A. girl, yes. true and true. You yeah. were born here, right? Born here, born in Van Nuys. And then when I was like three, my parents bought the house in Calabasas, which I, my whole life in, they lived there for 32 years and literally just closed on it a week ago and sold it. What? How did that feel? It's very Because they're downsizing, right? They're downsizing. Like all of our um, parents do, and then they get rid of your room. and yeah. <laughs> All the things are like, come pick up your crap. Um, yeah, it was super emotional because my parents had the house that like ever, like so much entertaining, so many holidays. And just over the course of so long a period of time, you know, 32 years, like there's so much in that house. And my parents are both in construction. So it started off as a small one story house. And it, what it turned into was a lot of like blood, sweat and tears and labor from them. So like, I feel like even more, we were all so much more invested in the house because we were part of every single renovation. But anyway, so yeah, so, so grew up in Calabasas um, from the age of three, you know, through high school. Gosh, that says so much about you with all of your creativity and just your like everything that you yeah. do, that your parents are both in construction. Yeah. So I can't wait to get into that. But with that said, who else lived in the house with you? How so I have an older <laughs> sister. She's 18 months older than me. And then a younger brother who's five years younger than me. Middle, middle child, child syndrome. I would middle. never have thought that you were the middle yeah. child. You're so I know. selfless and just very caring. But see, you I don't have think, issues at all. I <laughs> think that's why when you, Brandy, kept talking about, like, I don't want to have three because the middle child's always effed up. I was like, I disagree. The, the things about myself that I attribute because I was a middle child are very different from, I think, what sometimes other people think. Wait, do you think your parents did something different or is it just... Well, I think part of it, um, and Brandy, I know you'll agree with this, part of it had to do with the fact that my sister and I were so close that it was almost like the two of us and then my brother was like an only child again a year later as opposed to being sandwiched together. So I think that that was part of it is I was really just like the younger child Mm -hmm. and then when my brother came along, I was was like an older sister. And he's the boy, so he's the only boy. And it was different, yeah. So I think part of it had to do with that. But I was, but like in all the ways that I think... To me, I think of a middle child as being like a mediator. Like you're constantly trying to make things okay. Yeah. So I feel like I sharpened like my sense of humor and my desire to make people feel like, like the belonging and like like they're included and not feel uncomfortable and like try to dissipate awkward situations. Like that, I feel like was really because I was a middle child. And if there was any like tension in the house, I did everything I could to like make it funny or make it oh yeah it's a big deal like <laughs> diffuse situations. That's always how I. Kind of attributed I totally my middle see child. that about you too. Like you're very much the mediator. I feel like in a lot of stuff that you do. Yeah, it makes me really, really uncomfortable for people to feel to have conflict. Bad. Or- no, conflict is fine. I don't, I don't shy away from conflict. But if someone is feeling like, like, like nothing makes me feel worse than someone being like hung out to dry. Yeah, like just leaving them out there on their yeah. own and everyone's sitting there. Like it kills me. I will jump in and like go along with their joke if it's awful to help them like not be alone. Mm-hmm. Like it make. I mean, it it makes me. D- cringe it makes me really uncomfortable so the people feeling badly I really really dislike so I do it is more natural for me to want to make them feel better um but that to me is like the mediator thing so what was your childhood like are you like your siblings or and let me just say anytime I hear Calabasas because you know when I think I'm kind of newish to LA compared to both of you when I think of Calabasas I think of the Kardashians Kardashians. and like all these fancy sandwich shops and just like 
Just like the rich of the rich. Yeah, 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 like such a different world than LA. You know, guys that are listening, you know, Calabasas is in the valley. It's not really in the heart of Hollywood. It's kind of farther out there. Um, the houses are bigger. So, yeah. like, did you know any of the Kardashians when you were growing up? I mean, no. We knew, like, their store. Mm-hmm. But, like, no one knew who they were yet. So it was like, what is this store? Why is this stuff so expensive? Like, who the F yeah, are these why? people? Okay. Like, this is weird. Um, but the show started probably when I was in high school or maybe a little after. But they reminded me a lot of people I grew up with. Like, okay. where I grew up, there were a lot. We had, Like, I joke with my husband. My husband is Irish, Catholic, from New York. Everyone he knew was, like, Italian or Irish black like that was his thing where I grew up it was like Jewish and Persian everyone was Persian and he's like what is Persian is that Iranian (laughs) he's like I don't like what is that Persian doesn't like it was this weird thing that he didn't really understand so there's definitely a lot of money but my dad my dad's Israeli he grew up in Israel he went to the army after the army he moved to the states didn't speak any English he took English classes at night and worked during the day and so for him I think he obviously moved to America for the American dream to have a, you know, to have a family. And my mom's from here to have a family and give them the best. But to him, it was really important that we understand like work and work ethic. Oh, and that and totally shows with how you are. You're such a hustler yeah. and your work ethic is just top notch. Thanks. Wait, what yeah. did your mom do? So, so she was in construction. Yeah. So she, she's uh, got her general contractor's license when we were young, probably like seven or eight. And my dad is a wallpaper and paint contractor. And he, he, his business really like took off when we were a little bit older um, and he became super successful. And my mom did projects more like passion projects. She would redo like a lot of family. She did a lot of family stuff, um, would redo like kitchens for people or outdoor spaces. Or, you know, when my aunt, when they lost their house in the earthquake in 94, she rebuilt their full house. Whoa. And so she did things never really making a lot of money, really doing it as a passion project. My dad was really the breadwinner. Is that how they met or how did they meet? No. So my dad hates the beach, like hates the beach. It's just oh like, my he gosh. can't handle it. It's just so annoying. And there's like beautiful beaches in the Israel. Sand. So I don't know. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I can't be bothered. His friend dragged him with him to the beach one day and was like, you know, they'd been living here. He finally like had lived here for a little bit and was speaking English and all this stuff. And they go to the beach and my mom was like a sun worshiper, like the blacker, the better, the darker she could get, the better. Uh And she's laying on the beach and these guys are kind of like harassing her. She's alone on the beach. And my dad goes over and like, <gasps> defend Stop her. It. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. It's like story. the yeah. fairy tale story. And Evan. so they and so they started dating. And my mom was like, my mom was young. I mean, she, I think she was like eighteen when she met my dad. And so he takes her out on a date, and she's like, I'm on a date. She like ordered lobster, and like, my dad's like, this fucking bitch. Like, oh I can't afford this. Gosh. Like, who does she think she is? He's like, I should have known then. But they are. My parents are. <laughs> my parents are amazing. Like super in love. Super like so really, really. Um, Wait. So then, what's their age couple. difference? Eighteen, and then she. They're was nine years apart. Nine years apart. Wow. By the yeah. way, uh, you've I've seen photos of your mom before. If yeah. you guys follow us on Instagram, you see a lot of that. Yeah. And your mom is such a babe. She is. She has blonde well, I mean, hair. She just like yeah. looks way also too young to be Orly's mom. As yeah. tiny as you are, because what the heck? Like yeah, Orly, she, your body we have it from. Yeah, yeah, she is. It runs in the family. Shut it. <laughs> no, I definitely, genetically, that's all my mom. My dad has struggled with his weight his whole life. So, like, he started cycling right around when we got married, which we just celebrated our nine-year nine anniversary. Right then he started cycling and he dropped a lot of weight. So he's about as fit now as he's ever been. But weight was always something my dad struggled with. And when I was, like, a freshman and sophomore, it was something I struggled with. Really? Yeah. I had, like, a... like baby chub I guess yeah. is like all I can think of I, I guess yeah I mean I was I was in high school so it was just like I played at sports when I was younger and in high school I don't know I just like like I'm now like one between 115 and 118 usually mm-hmm. and I was like 140 so it wasn't like yeah. heavy but, was, but I think for it was my body like, it was exactly heavy you said. it was athletic yeah. probably too and like I was obsessive build. about losing weight and I tried diet pills and I was like eating weird stupid things that have no caloric value at all just like really not healthy about it and um I mean I'm jumping forward a little bit but when I moved to New York I don't know if it was the walking or it was just growing up but my whole body changed and it and then it's been like that ever since so before we get to New York I want to know because honestly I'm in awe of you I've known of Orly even before we met and I've said this before on the podcast but honestly when you were on Fashion Star for NBC I just thought you were you were electric on TV like you were so charismatic as a personality but then your clothing everything just you had such conviction with everything you did and I always loved that about you and that resonated through TV but like have you always had 
Yeah, like what were you like as a kid? Did you used to make clothes out of safety pins or something? Yeah, so so yes to both of those things. I was always like that as a kid. I was really like a go-getter, wanted to do my own thing. If I had an idea, I was going to do it. Like very, and I didn't, I think the biggest thing is that I never really got discouraged or shied away from failure. Like Mm -hmm. I think I've had a lot of failures. I've had a lot of things that did not go as planned that I tried really hard. Like really tried my hardest and didn't get what's didn't like work. what's an example of that I mean just even like when I when I was younger when I played soccer like I was really competitive I was on club teams and at that level where you sort of become the next level and you need to be really the best to move on I mean I remember trying out for multiple private club teams you know my mm-hmm. mom would take yeah. me and I didn't make any single team and it was something I like did from a young age and had practice four days a week and went away for tournaments, but I just wasn't good enough. I just wasn't, it wasn't This says a things. lot when we were talking about our kids and yeah. I remember Orly saying like, well, sometimes you're just not good enough. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. says a lot. But I think like, that's the thing is there was a lesson in that. Like, it didn't mean that there was anything wrong with the team. It didn't mean yeah. that the, that that coach should have made a spot for me. It didn't, and I it wasn't didn't, a waste of years of playing yeah. soccer. No, of I course. learned so much about teamwork. I learned so much about commitment and you commit to something, you do it, you show up, you deal with losing. Sometimes you deal with having a bad game. You deal with having a good game. Like all of those things to me were worthwhile experiences. And it was like, embarrassing to be like, man, I'm not as good as some of my friends and we've been doing this the same amount of time, but like, okay, so then you, you move like on to something else. else. So yeah. then at this time, you're in high school? So this was younger. This was like okay. middle school. And I was always into fashion. And, and so my grandmother is an artist. She's a painter. And she also, um, because she never really had enough success as a painter, she also had other jobs. So she made all the costumes for the McCollum Theater, which is a theater in Palm Springs, and has, you know... Um, my mom made clothes growing up and they had a a sweater, like a knit shop where they would hand knit things and sell things in the shop and all this stuff. So the, the fashion side of it was definitely from my mom's side. Like I remember her office in the house, there was always two sewing machines. There was an overlock serger and a regular sewing machine plugged in and threaded at all times. So if I had an idea or a shirt didn't fit me right, like it was no big like thing. It was just like go upstairs to the office and like turn on the machine and like fix it so you know cool. so like I think it it took the fear of it out because it was so convenient it was just there so I'm like oh well, let me try this and the more I did the more I learned so I always kind of made my own clothes as like a kid my mom always made our prom we got to design like our prom dresses that is the coolest thing I used to think so whenever people awesome. had homemade prom dresses like yeah. really good I'd be like oh yeah. mom why can't we do that yeah it meanwhile was cool. like I'll, t- I'll drop off my shirt that needs like a button fix at the, dry cleaners, at the dry cleaners yeah and get charged like 20 bucks right, like having right, a right, handyman right. to nail something small yeah exactly oh um wait That's so, so cool. I want to know okay so because I love you know you have kind of I think in between me and or would you say Orly's kind of like a tomboy slash mm-hmm. feminine, right? Don't yeah. You oh, totally. Like every so, other word is dude. Yeah. Have yeah. you always <laughs> been a tomboy? I was a total tomboy until probably my freshman year in high school. Like I remember wearing the weirdest things. I would wear like <laughs> snowboarding pants and crop tops, and I like. Well, that's was, very Gwen Stefani. It is very Gwen Stefani. I just <laughs> no, uh, doubt. no doubt. I've I've always wanted to be my own person. I just didn't want to look like anybody else. I didn't want to be confused with anyone else. I so didn't. it would have been horrible if your parents would have sent you to private school and you had yeah. your uniform. Or and they named you Deborah because or your name is yeah. Orly. Orly right. is such a unique name So too, unique. Yeah. I've and never I think, met another Orly. And I think having that name is part of what, another thing that made me like, you sort of have to own it and embrace it because you're going to get your balls busted. People are going to make fun of you. People said oily and orgy and orally and I like all stupid that. things like what that. What does that, Orly like, mean? My light in Hebrew. So pretty. So like you have to sharpen your sense of humor and be self-deprecating and make the joke first before they can and disarm the bully and like all that stuff. It builds character. So from a young age, I felt like the name was part of one of the things that really like made me stronger. Um, Yeah, so that was for sure. But I think style wise, I just, I think a lot of it was having a sister that was so close in age to me Mm -hmm. and she was really popular and she was really beautiful and she was really feminine and I just didn't want to be compared to her so I went the other way like you can't compare oranges and apples totally. so I'm just not yeah. I'm not gonna you're not gonna say who's prettier we're not gonna do that right I'm just gonna be totally different from her and so I was really tomboyish and it wasn't until I went into high school that I think I like embraced 
being feminine and I let my sister like teach me how to do makeup and but you're teach like me how to do my combo hair. Of both. You're I like know. feminine when you need to be like Sporting I'm pretty sure spice. if you can open your mouth or like even say anything, you just sat there. People are yeah. like, damn, she's so gorgeous. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm just gonna have a beer. Like, and she like, just enjoy. dropped an F bomb. So so even though you're a tomboy, um, like when was your first kiss or when did you start to like yeah. boys? So I had my first kiss in sixth or seventh grade. Nick Berard. Ooh. Oh my god. Nick. And it was really funny because Nick was shorter than me. And so I All was, boys are shorter yeah, than you in middle know, school. At that age, right? <laughs> I was really insecure about that fact that like my boyfriend was shorter than me. So we went up to the park, <laughs> which was by our house, right, where we got off for this the bus stop, and we I made us sit down. Because sitting we were the same height. <laughs> Wait, did you plan this kiss? Yeah, we like knew we were gonna kiss. Like Wait. today was like after the par- after school today at the park we're gonna have our first kiss. Oh my god! And so god. like peck or like no like like, like tongue, tongue kiss. yeah French and kiss. And so we sat down and kissed. And I remember when I got home, I told my mom, and I like remember it's so funny. I remember vividly trying to close my eyes and remember what it felt like because it felt so like weird and different that I would be like I can like I can like I can still feel it like I can remember it. Wait, what did your mom oh say? I, this God. is so odd because I would never I know. Be able to tell like my if mom. our daughters yeah. told us this, she was totally like, fine. She was like, yeah, okay, cool. She was totally fine. She was like, I'm glad you told me and like That's you know. So and I don't remember at that point whether it prompted any bigger conversations. I don't think it yeah. did. I yeah. think it was just like I told her and that was it and. Whatever, but it was... Um, the weirdest thing. Yeah. Someone else's tongue inside your mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> were you, like, the monotonous type of girl, or were you kind of, like... Wait, what kind of question there? is this? No, no, no. Yeah. Like, did you have Were long... you promiscuous? No, yeah. no, meaning, like, you know, did you... Well, yeah, not promiscuous so much, but, no. like, you know, you had yeah, boyfriends. Yeah, I had serial, I'm a serial like, monotonous. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so... I think it was uh, definitely more boyfriends, but that's also because I got... I met Mike, my now husband, when I was 19. And I feel like those years, 19 to 25, yeah. a little later, would have been the dating time. I kind of missed that. I had flings and I had one night stands and I had like that kind of stuff for sure. But it, I didn't have, you know, Mike and I were on and off. So there was time in the on and off where mm-hmm. I was like seeing this person, going on a date with this person, whatever. But for the most part, I felt like I had like a boyfriend in eighth grade that we were together for like all of eighth grade. Then I had, you know, I always kind of did have a boyfriend they were like one to two year relationships. So I guess I did always sort of have a boyfriend at that age. So when, okay, oh so you met Mike I feel like that's what you do at that you age. Do. You don't yeah. like date yeah. in yeah. high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, that's a, yeah. exactly what you do. But so, okay, you met Mike in New York. So I want to save that for a second. Yeah. But going back to just you and kind of who you were as a kid, did yeah. you always know you wanted to be in a creative field or did you have, what did you want to do when you were little? I wanted to be an actress. Okay. So when I was like. And do you think you wanted to be an actress because you lived in LA? No, I no. think I liked entertaining mm-hmm. I really liked I think I liked the I feel attention like you could still yeah. be an actress yeah. I like such a good I feel like yeah. you could totally I do couldn't it. ever this is what I found this is another thing I this is something I tried really really hard at and had very little success at I had I went to acting classes every single week from the age of probably like 13 or 14 years old until I was like 17 and I had an agent and I auditioned and I had callbacks and I booked a movie here and a little thing there but nothing really where I was like It's going to happen. And the thing that I realized about myself after the fact, I couldn't appreciate it or understand it in the moment, but after the fact is that I'm really, really good at being being myself. So if the camera is an inch away from my face, nothing changes. I don't act any differently. I don't get nervous. I don't get flustered. I look at the camera. It looks like a person to me. I see eyeballs when I look at it. I connect to it. Like it's all very comfortable. So as long as I was going out on an audition for a character that was basically a version of myself, I did really well. I would either book it or I would get chemistry reads or I would get callbacks or whatever it was. If it was like a tortured soul with like a Chicago accent, I was like, screw I couldn't do accents (laughs) and I couldn't be tortured. So what you're saying is we need a reality show for Orly. Exactly. Like like, acting is hard. Like to in one minute act like you're, you know, completely sad or mad. I mean, it's hard stuff. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, it wasn't something where I think I was, there were other people better at it than me. But I pursued it for a really long time, and I think part of all of that practice is what ended up making, when I started doing TV stuff, being myself, mm-hmm. being a contestant, I was circle. being myself, but I was also still very aware that it was a performance. Like, yeah. there's a camera on. I almost could see what the show was going to be like at the end, so it was sort of like I was fulfilling my role within the show. Mm-hmm. I could see it kind of that way, and even though it was reality and it was me, 
that experience from acting and knowing a script and learning scenes and doing all that stuff, I think is part of what allowed me to be myself. Yeah. Because and who I kind of today. Yeah. It makes yeah, yeah. sense. So Wait, then so what was your first job? Yeah. My first job, like real job, was yes. at Sagebrush Cantina. It was, it's a Mexican restaurant in Calabasas. I was a hostess and I was like, man, I was like And how old were it. you? 15. I got a worker's permit okay. at 15. Okay. As soon as I get a worker's permit, I got one and started working right and away. And is that like something your, your parents were like, do this because we want you to know the uh, work ethic? I don't know if like it that. came from them or if we, I just knew like I wanted a job. Like yeah. I wanted money. I wanted to buy clothes. I wanted like to not sit around on the weekends. Like I wanted to do stuff. I liked working. So for me, it was really, really fun. And I was like, it was like a puzzle, you know, it was like a really busy restaurant and you had to manage so many things. Oh my gosh. I was a hostess too. Yeah. It's crazy. And like, I felt like, you know, as you can be, you can be a good hostess and be like a real asset, like keeping things running smoothly and just being aware of like, who's a little overloaded right now, what tables are going to be emptying out. If you could just let them wait two minutes, then you can give a table to someone and it'll give them a breather and like really it's like a puzzle and so I did that and then when I got a little bit older they had this little general store which is probably illegal but I would sell like cigarettes and t-shirts and stuff in the general store (laughs) and then they have this side patio that was cocktails and appetizers but there were two separate waitresses one for cocktails and one for appetizers so I was able to be a waitress because I wasn't doing any booze so I didn't have to be 18. 18 so then I was a waitress there and then Right after high school, um, I became a waitress, like, in the restaurant. And that was right before I moved to New York. So it was always, like, restaurant stuff. Like, okay. I always worked in restaurants. That was always the job. So now let's talk about New York because yeah. I, I, this is when Yeah, we, what brought you there? Yeah. Why'd you go? So the story I told everybody was... <laughs> now um, you're getting the real deal. ...was I want to go to film school. And I just, like, don't want to – I want to, like, do something different. I'm going to go to New York. The school I was going to go to was here and in New York. I thought – I've always loved – and I have always loved New York. My mom, when we were 15, let each of us – she would take us on a special trip, each kid. My sister chose Hawaii because she wanted to be in the sun, and I chose New York. So I've always loved New York. That's, so, that's really cool. <clears throat> so I was How like – How old were you? When I moved? Yeah. 19. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to – that's what I'm going to do. The real reason is I got a DUI. And I was, I mean, it was the worst, most embarrassing, most self-loathing. Like you do all the things. You went through all the emotions. I was just couldn't believe it. I was under age. So I, I mean, it's like a technicality at the time gave me a lot of comfort and is really irrelevant now. But like I blew under the legal limit, but I was not 21. I wasn't allowed to be drinking anything. So blowing anything was illegal. Mm. Um, And so I spent the night in jail and the I was I had three friends in my car and I was pulled over getting off the exit to my house and they did a field sobriety test which I failed and I remember they needed me to change my shirt because I had on like a chain mesh open back tie shirt which I could try to hang myself with so in the middle of the gas station I had to put on my friend's sweatshirt and take off my chain mesh shirt and I was handcuffed and put in the back of a police car. And I remember oh sitting in the gosh. car and like telling the police officers like, this is not happening, right? Like, this is crazy. I'm not in the back of a police car. Like, is this, is this like really, ha- what's happening? How is this happening? Like, Wait, I was where so- Where had you been drinking? We went like to, no, we went to a club in Hollywood. We had fake IDs um, and went to a club and, wow. and I, you know, it was a really, it was really it's bad. Like- I mean, I, I, I drank. And got in the car. Like, it didn't matter how little it was. Like, I did the dumbest thing you could do with people in my car. Like, it was really, really, really bad. I had a lot of, like, self-loathing for a really long time about it. And I remember being in jail. And first you're in this big, like, room, this, like, big holding cell with just, like, benches in the middle and, like, 30 people before they, like, put you where you're going to go. And it was just terrifying. And, you know, with people that I'm, like, I shouldn't even... I shouldn't be anywhere near these people. What the hell is wrong with me? And then they line you up and they bring you to a cell. And meanwhile, because I had a fake ID on me, the police officer was like, as soon as you get your real ID here and we can prove who you are, you'll be able to go. That was a lie. I didn't know it, but that was a lie. So I'm thinking, my friends are going to my house. I gave them the garage code. They're going to go in. They're going to get my license. They're going to be here and I'm going to be out any second. So literally every second I'm thinking they're going to walk. So I'm like this, like, where are they? Like they should be here any second now. 
five hours passes and I end up going into the cell and I go in a cell with this woman who was caught hooking at Disneyland with her daughter. And so I'm oh on, my God. I'm on like the bottom bunk. She's on the top bunk. She like steals my breakfast and my orange juice. And I'm like, ah. I'm hysterically crying. I literally like can't stop crying. It's been, and do your parents know where you at are? At the time, no, because I'm thinking all they need to do is get me my license and then I can just handle this on my own. But what time is it? Aren't your parents like, where are you? Yeah, I was going to like, you yeah, know, sleep at a friend's up. house or whatever. Right. So I'm thinking though, I mean, I, this happens at like, midnight I'm thinking I've got I've got time I just need my friends will be here any minute with my ID and so obviously that was not happening and I needed them to actually call you know my I need to call my parents so I'm in this cell and they wheel up a payphone to the cell and they're like do you want to make a call you can make like a collect call and so I'm like I have to call my parents this like has to happen so I dial 1-800-COLLECT wow and I call my parents and I'm like it's not working and they're like what are you doing I'm like one eight hundred C O, and they're like, "This isn't one. This is collect. This isn't free. That you're in jail. Haven't you ever been here before?" And I was like, "No, I haven't yeah. been here before. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know what I'm doing." And they're like, "You have to dial collect. Like, it's gonna charge them." So I dial collect, and they're like, "Say your name and where." Oh and so it gosh. calls my parents, and I tell my parents. And who answers your mom or dad? My mom. And my mom comes to the jail. And we literally have the cheesiest moment of all time with the glass, with our hands up on the glass, crying hysterically. And it takes, I'm in, in jail for almost a full day. And it takes forever. They finally get me out. And I was just the most mortified. And because I was so embarrassed about it, I was like, I'm not going to remind them that this ever happened. The, I got a lawyer and I used all my savings from being a waitress. It was $10,000 for everything all in. So a lawyer... Um, which they reduced it to like an exhibition of speed so that it wouldn't be like on my record. They like did all these things. So I did that. I had to do all of the like community service and go to the, you know, the morgue and see dead bodies from DUI accidents and go to the Mothers Against Drunk Driving where they tell you all, you know, the people that they lost because of someone who did something like you did. And it was really a lot, but I like was just like handled it on my own because I didn't want my parents to be reminded of my mistake. And so when the time came... And I realized I got my license suspended for a year. I'm like, you can't live in LA without a license. Like, yeah. I'm either going to lose a year of my life or I'm going to try to do something with it. So I got my remaining hours of community service transferred to AA meetings and moved to New York and did AA meetings in New York every week for the wow. first like three or four months so I lived there. that was the real reason why you That was the real it. reason. I was like, I'm going to lose my, I'm, I lost my license. What am I going to do? I might as well make the best of it. And then I stayed for 10 years. Wait, how crazy is that though? Because it's those instances where you're like, yeah gosh, how could this ever happen? But had that not happened, you may have never moved there, right? And, no. then, and then that also led to you meeting yeah. Mike. Yeah, and... and just my whole personality, my whole life, I think, like, when I moved to You're New York... You're such a New York... You have such yeah, a New York do. vibe to you. Yeah. Like, when if, I, if you told me you were from New York, I would have believed you. When I moved there, I really felt like I found, like, my people. Like, I felt like all of the people that I met and the energy of it and the... <clears throat> the toughness and the ball busting and don't be such a don't be such a pussy like all that stuff like it was like people were speaking my language and I I felt really I liked how direct everyone was I liked how honest everyone was I liked that if someone was mad they said it that is you to a Mm -hmm. T yeah and you know what else I love about you and you just said it right now is that you said when you got when you were in this situation you wanted to make sure that you could handle it yourself yeah. without be having to remind your parents i think that that's something so you're interesting. so like, independent you're such so a leo independent that like i don't you know most yeah. and even like when you said you started working at 15 because you didn't want to like just sit around being lazy yeah. a lot of kids don't do that regardless of generation you know what right. i mean you don't do that and don't have that independence and even like that sort of zest for life and yeah you know, and so it's amazing to see that that's just something that's always been in you no a hundred percent it it, it yeah, it's always been something that's been really um, ingrained. I don't know, again, you know, I, I don't know if it, I, I think it's from my parents, but I don't know. It's also just been within... Who you are. Yeah. yeah. It just so, matters to so me. So I shouldn't... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so how long were you in New York before you met Mike? So not long at all. So I, I moved to New York and I was in film school. And basically they said, you can't work because you're going to be in classes all day and you're going to be making your films on the weekends. And so... And by the way, side note, if you want to enter the film industry, do not go to film school. BT dubs. It's the biggest waste of money. Wait, so question, was that part of college? You did not do no, college? No, because I never went to college. So I just went to film school and I thought, 
okay, I'm not having as much success acting, but I love storytelling and I love entertainment. Yeah. Maybe I can like learn how to make my own and then I can like create my own TV shows and my own, which is funny with like YouTube and stuff yeah, now, but like I can create my own stuff and then I can create the opportunity for myself that I'm not getting elsewhere. So that's why I went. And so they were basically like, you can't have a job, but I didn't have the option to not have a job. My mom helped me. She moved out with me, helped me find an apartment. I found an apartment for $700 a month a five bedroom apartment with five girls and you rented one bedroom and right. were um, your parents okay with you not going to college yeah but that's because neither of my parents went to college and they're both entrepreneurs and Got they it. were like you were your sister go your big sis my sister went to santa barbara city mm-hmm. college um and then came home and went to like community college here. Okay. so none of us really did college okay um and so that's why to me i look at i feel like i look at sort of education in a different way it's like to me life education yeah. it's like you have to go through Street school smarts. but to me it, it feels a little bit archaic and outdated in the kind of structure of it all but um but it's probably again because my parents were you know entrepreneurs and didn't didn't go that route but so it was a this film school and I ended up looking up jobs that I could get thinking I'll work in a restaurant that's what I've always done that's what I'll do so I looked up on Craigslist and this partially we've talked about, so I'll make it really short, but I found a job posting for Jello Shot waitress, which was 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. basically. So I'm like, well, that works. Like, school's over mm-hmm. and, you know, m- movies, any films that we're filming at that point are over. Like, everything's fine. So I got the job and I was making a lot of money and I was able to pay my rent and able to pay for my food and, you know, do the whole thing, balance life. And, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. I ended up staying for about a year and a half that's I met Mike pretty much right away because it was at that first bar that I worked Mm -hmm. at that I met him and we dated really casually like no big deal um but I really liked him but I was like it's not anything serious and then when my school was over I extended my stay there for about another five months because I wasn't going to get my license back for three or four months anyway so I'm like I might as well stay so I stayed and I just worked and saved money and saved a lot of money actually which was crazy living in New York to save money but I did and then I moved home and then Mike and I ended up in this like accidental long distance relationship. Like I thought we were just going to break up. All of a sudden he was flying out to visit and then I was flying out to visit him. And then we ended up kind of long distance. And it was during that time, I think I came home for about a year he just, and a half. He's so, you know, if you guys have been listening for a while, like when I think of Mike, he's so polar opposite of you. Couldn't yeah. be more different. And you know, he's a lot older. You're 19. You're in New York. Like, did he seem like, was husband even on your radar? No, I didn't think I age? ever wanted to get married. And I didn't think I ever wanted kids. Wow. Like none of it. Yeah. I was just like, and again, we talked about this a few minutes ago. I do not deal well with like group mentalities. This is how we should all behave. This is how we should all think. I'm very much like what works for me. That's what I'm doing. I don't care what everyone else is doing. So to me, it was like, I don't think getting married makes sense for me. I don't think having kids makes sense. For me. I get that that's what people want, but I don't want that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until... Mike and I were really serious that I was like, I don't want anyone else, so why wouldn't I get married? So at what age was that? We got married at 20... We got engaged when I was 27. No, 24. I had Connor when I was 28. So we got engaged at 24, got married at 25, then had Connor at 28. What was that like? Was it something... I feel like you'd be like, hey, you want to do this? Let's get married. No, no, he proposed. It was really sweet. Or like a Vegas wedding. Yeah, Yeah. let's... No, we were... So we were in New York and Mike, his appendix burst. And he was like working at a bar still and he was in the hospital and all this stuff. And we had this trip planned to California. And I was like, you know, do you, are you still able to go? Do you think you're going to be okay? And he, you know, sort of said that he thought he would be fine, but he was a little sluggish and a little out of it because he had just had, you know, been in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so we get here and we're hanging out at my parents' house. We're staying at my parents' house and he, you know, he wants to go on a hike. So we go to this hike in Topanga called like Red Rock or something like that. Eagle Rock. I can't remember right now. But anyway, we get to the top of the mountain and he proposes up there and he had asked my dad who makes a joke that he asked my dad for his blessing not his permission because if he said no then what was he <laughs> gonna do it, so he said yeah. because he can say no to the blessing but you know so we uh he proposes and it was great it was like to me I knew probably a year prior that if he had asked me I would say yes mm-hmm. because I just again it was like I had tried. We had broken up a bunch of times. I kept being like, this makes no sense. You live there. I live here. Like, we're so different. You know, you're Catholic. I'm Jewish. You're, you know, just all of these things. I felt like we were so kind of different. Um, But then all of a sudden, it just became clear that he was the person. Like, it didn't matter. He was just so clearly the person. And so I was like, you know what? If he asks, like, yeah, I don't want to be with anyone else. I only want to be with him. So 
was so yeah then we got engaged that's awesome and then okay so then you guys and this got, is the ring that he proposed to you with yeah which I feel like back then, like, I know, like that's a, this is a really nice ring. Oh, you have a beautiful ring. I know nothing about rings, so at the time, I didn't, I, I mean, I still don't know. I mean, my mom like never wore a ring. you 24 and you have, like, a beautiful diamond ring. I yeah. feel like usually people, you know, when they get married so young, it's like we have to work yeah. our way up. Right. Something nicer. So, I want to know now, okay, so then you guys are in New York, you guys move back to California. Yeah, so we're in New York for a long time. We... Uh, buy a condo together we have a dog we uh, get married there we get pregnant with Connor there and I had done fashion star in LA and then came back to New York and was you know still working still bartending you know I bartended the entire time I was there that was my full-time job that's the only way that I made money and paying my mortgage doing everything off of bartending and when I went season two of fashion star I go to LA and did I even tell you guys a story about how I found out I was pregnant with Connor? No. I know this story just from our, our conversation. Our one night once, yeah. So we, I'm in LA because Fashion Star Season 2 has started taping and they hired me to be like a backstage correspondent. So I'm there to host this whole behind the scenes thing from, um, from Fashion Star. And so I get to LA and I'm staying at my parents' house and I feel like I have like a UTI and I'm just like, oh my God, this relentless UTI, it's the driving worst. me insane. So I go yeah. to like a health clinic here in LA because I only have health insurance in New York. So they're like a free clinic in LA and I'm telling them I have a UTI and they're like, you know, we just ran your urine. There's no bacteria. You don't have the UTI. And I'm like, I'm telling you I do. Like, I can I don't, feel it. Like, it's the most yeah. uncomfortable thing. Like it's yeah. obvious. Like I know what a UTI feels like. It's a UTI. And they're like, all right, well let's, we're going to write you the prescription, but you know, just if you hear from us, don't take it. Otherwise, you know, maybe it's just taking a minute to show up. So I get a call at like 6:30 in the morning from the clinic and they're like, Hey, it's, her name was Shani, which was so weird. She's like, hey, it's Shani from the clinic. And that's Orly's so last name. Yeah. And I was like, no, this is this is Orly Shani. And she goes, no, 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 my name is Shani. I was like, oh, hi, hi. She's like, did you take the medicine that we prescribed to you yet? And I was like, no. She's like, don't. I was like, why? She's like, your test came back positive. And I was like, positive for what? Like, oh my God, like, what do I have? Like, I was terrified. And she's like, no, your pregnancy test came back positive. And Mike is in the room with me and his two fists in the air. He can hear through the phone. Fists in the air. He's so excited. I started hyperventilating and hysterically crying. I was like, oh my God. Because we had decided that we were going to try, but I always thought that I would struggle trying. I wouldn't, I was the kind of person who like didn't get my period for eight months and like had all these weird issues. And I also, I think because I didn't feel like super feminine, something I was like I probably can't have kids yeah like I don't know I don't feel like mama like yeah, yeah, mother yeah. earth like I'm probably not gonna be able to do it literally the first time we had unprotected sex I got pregnant Wow. and I so did not expect it and so didn't think that it was happening that when they said it I mean I I like really prayed that it would go south like I was really not ready wow, I was really? really really not ready I was hysterically crying I was a mess for weeks and then it was the weirdest thing like like that overnight, I went from feeling that way to feeling so excited. And during pregnancy, or yeah, once couple weeks was in, born. and oh, I was wow, saying like, okay. I don't know if it's the hormones that do it to you, or if it was just this thing is happening. So my, I just Accepted. got on board. Like I don't know what it was, but it was a palpable shift from dread to pure excitement. And then I've never looked back. And then wow. it's been great, and I've been. I felt really in myself in it all. So from that moment, was something that you absolutely like. You guys knew you wanted to have. To. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's amazing. And oh my gosh, if you guys follow Orly on Instagram and her YouTube channel, I mean, those two little kids They're are so funny. such balls of energy yeah. and light. They're exactly like you and Mike, you know, yeah. versions of you guys. They're so adorable. They are. They're really fun. All right, so let's now talk about motherhood because that's something yeah. that, you know, you, you didn't think you were up for yeah. and you weren't sure if it was for you. Like, what has it done to you? Since, like, when that light switched for yeah. you when you were pregnant with Connor and expecting, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to accept it. From that point to actually having your first child to yeah. now, fast forward to them being as old as they are, what what's something that you take away from that? You're like, oh my gosh, I never thought I could blink. Gosh. That's a big one. You know, I think that there's a real, like, peace in creating your own like family unit and really building the kind of environment that you want within like your four walls and within like to me that's been really empowering and really like liberating that there are no rules I can do it how I want to do it so I think I was really nervous because I thought that I was gonna have to be 
I was going to have to take to motherhood the way Brandy takes to motherhood. Mm-hmm. And that was terrifying because that's, I'm not, I can't be Brandy. I can't, I can't. And so I would, the, the fear that I had that I would be a bad mom, that I would be a failure in it, that I would, all of that was what the story that I was telling myself that was giving me the panic and giving me the freak. I think once I realized that I could do it exactly as I wanted to and be my kind of mom, then there was a real peace about it and a calm. And I get stressed and things happen and whatever, but for the most part, I feel very relaxed in my role as a mom. I don't feel like I get caught up in the things I thought I would get caught up in. And I think it's interesting because since we've started this podcast together and because we do have our unique perspectives, it's really interesting watching both of you and seeing how you guys parent. And it gives such good perspective of like, chill out, or maybe Mm -hmm. I should be thinking about this. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's another reason why I think we reiterate, like it's so nice to have your group of mom friends yeah but I I love that because I feel like there might be women listening that are either doubting having children or think they don't want to have children and they may feel very connected to you about this because you don't have to be the cookie cutter societal like this is what a perfect mom is and this is who can be a mom and should be a mom like there is there are no rules nope you're such an independent creature you fell in love with a man and you decide you know you guys had children and I mean you guys are raising amazingly beautiful healthy Brilliant children. Yeah. Did Mike play a big role in you feeling like ready and okay? A hundred percent. Mike is the kind of man that was created to be a father. Like the thought that I would like take him Mm -hmm. and take that away from the, the, from the kids who could have him as a father. That was the thing to me that I was like that I can't Mm -hmm. get on board with. Like I might not be ready, but like this man has to be a father. And like, that's really effed up to like not give some kid this man as a father. Like that to me was the thing that really like pushed me as I'm like, we'll together, we'll figure this thing out. Like I might be a little overwhelmed, but he's rock solid. By the way, Orly has this like tough exterior, but she's such a little crier. I cry all the time. <laughs> like, I don't know I, what the, she, like for God's sake. Like, no, but can I say something really quickly too, is that in this process of getting to know everyone, one thing I will say, I feel like show me your partner and you show yourself. Yeah. I absolutely adore both your husbands and I haven't been able to spend I know, isn't it funny? I'm like in love with all of our husbands and And we don't even hang out with our husbands. But I just feel like it's a really good reflection of the type of people you you are at the core because it's the people that you want to be with when there's nothing else. 100%. And and yeah. to me, like, it's great. I see Mike, yeah. and I see exactly everything you say. You know, like, yeah. the fa- it's exa- you said it, you said it perfectly. Like, yeah. he, it, you couldn't deprive a man like that yeah. for the father he could be to the children he should have, you know? And 100%. it's amazing because he is such a great dad. You guys are such a great Thank couple you. together. And it's, I love it because you guys are polar opposites, but he oh brings gosh. out that soft spot in uh-huh. you so much. Yeah, he <laughs> really it's d- so sweet. Yeah, to oh, watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Schwitzer. even though he's the tough cop. He is. Oh my he's god, the tough I know. Cop, but he just brings out that little, like he's the sweetest little, like tiptoeing yeah. when we're doing our podcast. Can I open the fridge? Like, I know, so I know. Cuddly. No, he's he's incredible. He really is such a great like man. He's like the you know to me he's the ultimate like partner on all of this. He's so supportive. He's always been incredibly supportive of like my dreams, of my passions, of he validates all of the dreams that I have in the biggest way. He sees them all as being like only a matter of time and I think you really need that. Like you need someone who has your back and helps you push through because like if the person who knows you best doesn't believe that you're going to conquer the world, like it's so hard to believe you're going to because you're like, well, man, they're with me every day. Yeah. If they don't see it. That's why it's really hard, I think, when you're like when your parents don't believe in your dream. You're like, yeah. they know me. Yeah. Like they don't think I'm exceptional. And we've talked about where you're like, you know, you thinking your kid's the most important person in the world. Like we've had that whole conversation. But like you have to look at your you ha- you want as a child for your parents to look at you and see nothing but possibilities and see like anything can be accomplished and I think I felt a lot of that support from my parents but my parents were the first ones to be like you need a backup plan like when I wanted to be an actor it was always like you need a backup plan like they didn't believe it was going to happen they didn't believe that for me it always was this thing that I felt like I was kind of embarrassed I was doing because to them it or was like why you're trying to do it yeah it was kind of like well what, else, what are you going to really do though you know and it wasn't like they didn't they, they, my mom took me to acting class. They paid for them. They dropped me off. They drove me to auditions. Like, they did it, but there was that, like, underlying, like, but what are you really going to yeah. do? Have you thought about that yet? Do you, you think know? that like, plays a huge role in how you parent Connor and Blake? Yeah. Yeah, because I think, like, it's not... They're not m- mine. Mm-hmm. 
You know, like I don't see them as like my as in your possessions. Yeah, yeah, like a reflection of me. They're not when they when they misbehave. They are to me like you know what I mean. Like if yeah. you like I haven't done my job. If you're acting like a little asshole, mm-hmm. I haven't done my job in teaching you what's important and how to be respectful and how to be kind and you know, all of those things. But like the, what they choose to do with their life, who they fall in love with, what kind of life they choose to lead, what career they want, like those are no reflection on me. That's all about them. That's their story. You know, it's like, it, it just doesn't have anything to do with me. And so I want them to feel really supported, supported. and empowered. To me, the only thing that matters is like, if you say you're going to do this thing, then you better effing do this thing. Mm-hmm. Do not half-ass it. Don't, yeah. don't say you care about this and then flake out on the big opportunities. Don't not show up like, that's the only thing that matters to me because then you can do, do anything. I don't yeah. care. But, like, do it. I love that about you because you walk the walk and you talk the talk, you know? You mm. talk the talk and walk the walk. Mm. You really do back up everything you say you're going to do, which I think is is more rewarding almost than saying I'm going to be an actress and being an actress. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it has to do with, like, the, again, like, the failures. Like, having failures, having things that you really try that don't. I, I had a clothing line that I gave my heart and soul to for four years and had to close it because it wasn't profitable. And, like, I've had, you know, it's like, you just have to keep kind of going and know. I think the biggest thing is, like, you really have to have confidence. You have to believe in yourself so much and know that it's all just a matter of time and you have to keep going like, and then it's easy. Then the like hustle and Pieces the work, it's easy. And let's talk because about you're... that because like, you know, I know we've mentioned Fashion Star and you guys know that Orly has her own YouTube page and channel, but let's kind of talk about all the all the yeah. pieces because like a year from now, five years from now, you know, you might have your own show. Let's yeah. hope you do. That's yeah. the goal. Um, and so let's kind of talk about that because everyone that's successful, they always talk about all the failures beforehand and yeah. all the little decisions and the steps that they took to get to where they are now. Yeah. So let's kind of start there. So I would say, like, when you go back and you connect the pieces, I think that's one of the most, like, um, interesting exercises you can do. Like, obviously, me acting as a young person really was valuable to what I do now. Me making my own clothes as a kid was DIY before DIY was an industry. It was all things that I was doing, so it all fits really well. I did Fashion Star, and, you know, I'm not a designer. And what was that show for people that aren't familiar? So it was a design competition show, Fashion Designers. There were 14 designers, and it was different than Project Runway in the sense that you had a pattern maker and a sewer, so you didn't have to know how to pattern make and sew. You just came up with the designs. And the show had three mentors, um, Jessica Simpson, Nicole Ritchie, and John Barbados. And then there were three judges, H&M, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Macy's. And you would present down the runway in this huge, like, voice-like stage, this enormous big stage. And you... If the designers, the clothing brands, wanted the item that you did, they would bid on it. And they bid, like, monetary value, and they would buy the piece. And then in the term of when the show was under production, they were actually Selling producing it. the clothing. No, so, like, we oh. didn't, it didn't air until six months later, so they had time to manufacture the clothes. <laughs> so then the episode would air on a Tuesday night, and Tuesday at midnight, online, the clothes were available and in stores the next morning. And so you could walk into a store. I mean, I had a skirt in the window in Beverly Hills and Saks Fifth Avenue. And I was like, what? Like I could not mean my whole, it was insane. And you know, we didn't make as much money as people thought because the monetary value that they bid was retail value. Not like, you know, so I ended up, thank you. I ended up making, I think at the end of it, like 20 grand, but it was 20 grand. Yeah. And it was on national television. So it was huge. It was a great platform. Yeah. And I didn't win. I came in fourth place. Um, but the, the NBC was basically like you were like a fan favorite and so we think you'd be great to do like a backstage correspondent thing because everyone loved you from the show and you can sort of make the world between this big stage show and the like at home designer you can connect those worlds through some digital content so I did that and I hosting wasn't on your radar at this point no and hosting kind of wasn't a thing. It was like Juliana Rancic was like yes. the only host back then. Yeah. You go to like journal, you go to school for like journalism and that's how you become like a host. Yeah. And it was like, the, you don't have a specialty. Hosts don't have a specialty. You just right. read, you Rock are generic. Like and, it was yeah. actually a negative to be like pigeonholed in a category. You're, you're a just, talking head and you weren't really a producer yes. or a content creator. YouTube, like it's so different now. Updates. Like if you're going to become a host now, it's like, you've got to have a niche. Yeah. What's your thing? What's you your be an ho- expert at something. Yeah. It's so different now. But so I did it. And I just remember everyone being like, you should think about doing this. 
like like the the producers and the people I was working with, like you're really good at this. Like, mm-hmm. have you done this before? And I was like, no. And they're like, you're really good. Like, I would memorize everything I had to memorize, and I would like do it to camera, and we would like do one yeah. take, and they'd be like, well, I guess okay, so I guess we're done. Like, so I got really good feedback, and then I got a manager, and had an interview with Annie Roberts, who was the head of Oh my gosh, at e. yes. <laughs> and I was eight months pregnant with Connor, and she told me about a new show that they were doing called The Trend, and it was going to be kind of like a almost like fashion police, but for trends. And so it would be like talking about trends and they wanted two celebrities to host it and then a couple of guest panels. And she's like, I thought you could be a good guest, like expert maybe. So I go through all, I have Connor and they finally call, they're ready to start casting. And I put myself on tape and I get brought to New York for chemistry reads. And it's like a 10 day long process and I don't get the show. And they're like, but we would love you to be a expert. So they filmed the pilot with the two original hosts, and I'm an expert, and the pilot's a disaster. It's just not vibing. And I get a call like a week later from the creator of the show going, nothing makes me happier than making these kinds of phone calls. I was like, what's up? (gasps) He's like, you are going to be sitting next to Kristen. You got the job. Cavalieri, by the way. Cavalieri. He's like, you're going to be the host. And so then I got the job, Ah! and I like couldn't... Wait, what was the name of that show, though? It was called... They changed it to The Fabulous. Yes. And it was a blast. I mean, I was at E, which was like a dream. If you like care about fashion, being there was like so cool. So I was doing live from the red carpet. I was doing Oscars coverage. I was doing Fashion Police with Joan Rivers. I was doing E! News. I had that show. It was such a dream come true. And then it just all kind of went away. A lot of weird things happened. Joan Rivers passed away. Um, and that was a really big thing, the Zendaya, Juliana Kelly thing, and then Fashion Police kind of went away, and then there was a new president that came on, and he wanted all his new people, and so then I just, just kind of went away, and I remember just being so devastated. It was uh. like, it was like you're so close to like your dream. It was just like right there, and then it was just kind dream of dream like network, gone. dream show. Great co-host. Yeah, yeah, but honestly, you think about, I mean, I feel like it's just like the same thing that you talked about with your DUI. You know what I mean? These things happen and yeah. you look down 10 years <clears throat> and see where that takes you. Like, I don't know, being on that show would have you allowed you to be have resilience in this industry, Absolutely. though. Absolutely. No. And but I that think, creativity gosh. that you have, that you do have in yeah. your skill set, like, it's just I didn't do any of that at, exactly. at, at E. And honestly, I always felt like a fraud at E. You know, it's like... I didn't know how to pronounce the designer's names right. right. I didn't know what... Yeah, like, I didn't know. I just always felt like a fraud. Like, I was... And and there was a very, like, cool culture at E. And I just, like, didn't feel cool enough. Right. Like, I always felt like... Oh, my God. You're, like, like the coolest person I know. know. You are. But But no, you're right. But the thing is, like, I shouldn't... Feel like you have to act a certain way to be, yes. like to be there, and that also probably had to do with age. No, but you know, that, like that, I've grown into culture, myself enough. Too. That yeah. culture exists, and I, I hear you. Like that's not you, and it's a, this whole idea of perception is reality. Yeah, you just want to be you. Yeah, and nobody needs to be intimidated by anybody else, and yes. we just do our thing and we go. Yeah. Wait, I have to ask you this though, because you are. I feel like everything you've done up until now has really made you like. I feel like. The progression is so natural. Like yeah. you were around fashion when you were younger. Mm-hmm. You moved to New York. You did all. This I know stuff. it's so easy to see it, now, right, like it is in, so easy in to see. perspective and retrospect. But I also can't see you doing anything else. Like I yeah. really can't. So if this was gone tomorrow, like DIY yeah. designer, YouTube, Instagram, and just everything like associated yeah. with that, what what do you think you'd be doing? I think I want to be a producer. Okay. Because I do think that, that it's sense. still something I want to do. Like I'm still producing stuff for people that I'm not in. Like, there's a, a chef that I love and I think is absolutely incredible and such a great personality. And so I pitched him on the idea of producing a sizzle reel for him and going out and shopping it on the market. And I'm not in it. I have nothing to do with it. I'm just a producer on it. But to me, it's like be, being able to produce content is really important because it can, you know, we've learned this. Like, no matter how amazing the opportunity is, it's generally within a very narrow scope. And so you're not going to fulfill all aspects of yourself. And I feel like I'm a, I'm a really creative person. I want, I selfishly, I want to do all the things I want to do. I don't mm-hmm. want to sacrifice anything. I don't want to say no to anything. I don't want you to tell me I can't do it. I want to do whatever I want to do. And I want to do all of them. But I understand that like when you're front facing, mm-hmm. if you're on camera, you're generally within one space. And for that network's benefit or for whatever, like you are, you need to be just in that one space. You that can't do 12 different things. So I would like to be able to produce things that allow me the fulfillment creatively that I want in other areas. So it's something I love anyway. So I feel like if I just was not on camera at all, doing that stuff would be something that I could still bring all my like 
skills to and I could still enjoy and feel like creative. I feel like we know you so well, Orly. I know. <laughs> Except we didn't. I, didn't I know. The DUI. That, was, that's such a pivotal point in your life. It was huge. That is awesome. It was huge. It was awful. Well, how oh. about we lighten this up a little bit and get to yeah. a little fire round? I know. I'm dying the to know these round. because, guys. Oh, shoot. I haven't thought about these at all. Okay. Oh, I it's love good. that. I like it. Because your celebrity crush, Ami, <laughs> still like blows oh, my mind. Oh, my God. Eddie Kravitz is amazingly hot. He what is. He is. But it, I just didn't expect that it. That also. Yeah. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's do a fire round. All right. So. Girl celeb crush. Either Blake Lively or Jennifer Aniston. Is that why Blakey's named Blake? No. Oh. I wanted to give her a boy name in the same way oh. that I had a tough name. I wanted her to have to, mm-hmm. I love it. to be a little tougher. Oh, I love that. Okay, what about your celebrity crush? Boy crush. God. I mean... Yeah, like who's hot besides your Ryan husband? Reynolds? Do you know, like who? Oh, I do love me some Ryan Reynolds, say, Ryan Gosling, like, like, like the two of those. Yeah. But yeah, Ryan Reynolds, the funny in Ryan Reynolds is just is just fantastic. I see being with someone like that, but yeah. then I see a Gosling too. Okay, yeah. so I know I don't have it. There's no one that I'm like, oh fuck, kind of like eh. <laughs> okay, right, she doesn't want to ride anyone's ride. I guess. If you were stranded <laughs> on a desert island, what would be the one product to take with you? Sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> um. I would say, didn't you say potatoes? Well, because I would say, like, a lot of potatoes. Product. I, I would be actually yeah. really taking like, some food. And but DIYs with, like, yeah. mass huts. And, and like, I'm like, yeah, I will sell them to the villagers. But I also feel like she'd be the kind of person that would just be like, I'm naked. This yeah. is how I was created. Yeah, that's true. Um, like, sunscreen? Yeah, I mean, if that's what you, that's Wait, what kind? Sunscreen. What kind? Yeah, which one is your go-to? Um, I use one right now, the, it's CeraVe. Uh, CeraVe. Mm-hmm. And it's the, like, zinc, invisible zinc. Yep. Because it's got the zinc in it, but it doesn't go on your face mm-hmm. white. That's what I use every day. I love That's everything nice. they make. Okay, what's your favorite mom memory? And you can do one per kid, because that's hard. Um, I think Blake, Blake's uh, labor was, to me, really, like, magical. Mm-hmm. I think that, to me, was, like, as a mom, not, like, like my own selfish memory that almost had nothing to do with anyone else was that like it was such a great experience compared to what my first one was like so that was like a really special mom moment I felt really like in my motherness and it all like I felt very like ha which like I hadn't (laughs) with Connor at all um and this is a bigger one but with Connor I think it's just been the change in him from when we really struggled with him to realizing that he was going to be okay mm-hmm. thinking that there was potentially something wrong there and realizing that it was just a phase and he's become this great kid like the joy of that because you second guess yourself and you wonder oh, if it yeah. was you know or did you do it's something everything. wrong so all of a sudden you're like okay I can my sister said something really interesting to me that like the hardest part about when they're little is that all of the things that you're doing, that you're relentlessly doing, repetitive over and over, telling them, repeating to them, all this stuff, you don't know if it's working until years later. And then all of a sudden you see like, you see it show up and it you're clicks. like, yes, wow. it freaking worked. But yeah. you don't know it in the moment. So you're just kind of going blindly, hoping that these things are working. And then all of a sudden they become little people and they show back to you what you've taught them. And they're like good people. And you're like, that's, that like, is That a, was all me. Thank God. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, it's, yeah. There's a sense of comfort and like, okay, we, we, we can do this. What would you say is your biggest failure or obstacle that you've overcome? Um, I think the DUI. That was it. That was a, I feel like that's such a pivotal part of your life that and but it also that, was when you were young like is there anything as an adult that you've had to overcome or a setback or I mean but I feel like you were an adult I mean I mean yeah. also yeah I, but not I, you, you were right. legal you no but I, I think the reason I say that is because again I feel Forced like it, you to it, grow up. and it also really brought out your maturity like the fact that you literally took it into your own hands yeah. and you're like I'm yeah. not gonna sit around waiting for this to yeah expire like or you know make me drive again I'm gonna go totally. do my thing and I'm also gonna yeah, you have to pivot. Yeah, you have to pivot, and I think that's probably during that time I pivoted, and then even when with like, you know, the failure of Tuck and West closing that—that that was not my plan. I did not plan on closing it. I planned on it being alive forever. I planned yeah. on it being a success. And so when I realized it wasn't, I think what it forced me to look at was what am I actually good at? Like, and and I have this conversation with production companies where they'll be like, you know, what's a show you want to do, or what's a this, and we talk about home decor shows, and I'll be like, listen. If you give me a blank house and say go to town, that's You're not done. what I'm good at. No, that's not what I'm good at. 
That's, there are there are better designers out there. But if you bring in, you bring me into a house designed by a million dollar fancy schmancy designer with ex, you know expensive everything, and you tell me that their neighbor wants it and their budget's twenty grand, that I can do. Oh. Show me the inspo. Show me the vibe. Give me something to work off of, and from there I can show you how to make it attainable. Whether it's thrifting it or DIYing it or thinking outside the box or rearranging it. But a blank slate. Design me a gown. I have no idea. We need to do a collab I, for Millie's room. Yeah. Millie, which might so end up being Millie and Sonny's room. 100%. No, we need so to I do that. Realizing what I was good at and saying, okay, I, Tuck and West didn't work because I'm not a designer. Yeah. Like, I'm really not. That's not where my strengths are. This is what I'm good at. So I feel like that's why, like, the YouTube channel has become successful because that's actually acknowledging what my assets yeah. are as opposed to feeling insecure about what they're not. Right. Which I think is what also, I did what previously. Also, what you do is so approachable and attainable for people. Yeah. It makes something so difficult, which they think, like, is unattainable. Yeah. Attainable. Yeah. That's great. All right. What is your guilty pleasure? Real Housewives. Is it? Oh, my God. Okay. Which one? Beverly Hills, and yes. lately Orange County. Yeah. Those are my two favorites. Uh, I'm a little no, behind, really, but I am too. My two feeling Gina on that Wait, but okay, food. I want to know what's your food guilty pleasure. Um, yeah, because I feel like you eat really healthy. I do eat really healthy. That's just because how my mom ate. So yeah. my mom cooked, so I just have always eaten healthy. But you uh, have a taste for it. Like, I have a oh, taste yeah. for Oreos. Ice cream with hot, not hot fudge, but fudge. Ooh. I have, like, this really dark chocolate fudge. Ice cream with so much fudge that it becomes chocolate ice cream. What flavor ice cream? Vanilla with like Vanilla fudge. bean? French vanilla? Homestyle vanilla? vanilla? Bean. <laughs> but honestly, I did see your vanilla bean test, your taste test. Anything that's in the freezer, like I can make okay. it work. But that would probably be it. Yeah. But my stomach gets real effed up with that much dairy, so I pay for it. But like, uh, that's probably... That's probably what what would you say your life motto is? Or like your life mantra? Um, I feel like I know what it is. What? Just part, like, when I think of you, you're just such an effort person. Yeah, effort. Oh. Like, your motto is just, yes, like, yeah. That like, is there definitely. There is a huge, yeah. I do believe in that. I really do believe that, like, if you're listening to anyone other than yourself, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Like, I just don't think that all of the energy that's spent worrying about if you're doing it right, what other people think, what the rest of the moms are doing, what the, everyone at school is doing, what, like... You just have to own who you are and not apologize I for totally it. Agree. And I think that that's the most important thing because it's liberating and it's freeing. And people gravitate towards people that are just owning who they are. You can feel that desperation when someone's trying so hard and they're not being authentic yeah. to who they are. Just like figure out who you are, figure out what makes you and happy. And there's nothing more attractive too about a person yeah. than when they know who they are. That's such a good advice though because I do feel like when people are trying to differentiate themselves, especially when yeah. trying to do things that is so saturated, they forget because yes. they're so busy trying to, am I getting this right? Am I doing this right? It's like just be. And also in the everyday, like in the pickup line or just yes. when you're talking to your kids and they're talking about the parent that always shows up and is right. always in the classroom and stuff. It's, it's hard not to stay in your own lane, but that's exactly where you should. And I'm going to be very cheesy, but you know, you're everything that your child needs. Like you yeah. are, like you are the mom that they want. You're the only mom that you can be for them. And you don't have to do anything to be that person. Right. Like you yeah. just have to show up and be their mom. Okay, what do you want the mommy group to know about yes. you? We've asked each of us this question. Like what's what's the message that you want our listeners to know? Um, She's gonna cry. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, about me. Yeah. Yes. Like, just to jog your memory, like, mine was just, you know, I want people to know that, like, I'm just, like, an everyday person. Yeah. And I get, I, I get compared to the Pinterest mom, like, I'm an everyday person. Yeah. Like, what is your message for I think that I, I care tremendously about other people's feelings, mm -hmm. not as they pertain to me, but their feelings. Like, when we got a message a while back about someone saying that they thought that I was being, like, mean girl to Brandy. Right. And that broke my heart because I'm like, we're that ball busting and we know we're playing and we have a friendship where that's part of the dynamic is calling each other out and making fun of each other. And it's fun to do that, to be able to be free like that. Um, the thought though, for even a moment that like, yeah, and I think I texted you that, and I was like, yeah. you'll tell me, right? Yeah. Like even thinking about like, you'll tell me, right? Like if I've ever said anything. Oh my God. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> But seriously, like if yeah. I've ever said anything that like, registered a little bit like ouch oh, yeah, that was no. below the belt or like no. I was like you'll tell me right like the thought of that mm -hmm. that I could potentially hurt someone's feelings 
like unintentionally make them feel like shit like I only want to make people feel better and that's why like when I share this stuff when I share like who cares what anyone thinks like it's really like I want you to feel better stop wasting your energy don't feel bad because other people do things better don't feel bad because you think they're judging you like just don't feel bad I just want I don't want anyone to feel that way so to me it's like I just care a lot I want people to be happy I want to be happy and that's why I do the things selfishly because I want to be happy too I want to be a happy person I want to be a good friend of my friends that means I have to be happy I have to be fulfilled I have to take care of myself like so I feel like I do those things selfishly because my uh well-being is important to me but yours should be to you as well and like I want to be that positive person in your life that makes you like feel fulfilled and feel happy and feel supported and feel loved and all that stuff. So I think to me, like that's what this podcast, like the whole point of it was, was I wanted anyone listening that if there's moments when you feel like a little crappy or alone or like it's not what you thought it was going to be and that whatever that like there's three people that are going to be sharing their crap too and are going to be bouncing off and crying randomly and yelling randomly and venting randomly. Like I just thought it would be so great to have a space like that. Yeah. You do so, that. I mean, you, you definitely do, yeah. nail that. And I yeah. think Lord have mercy. this is the place for everyone I, to feel included. This is, I, I love this. This was really good. I love these again. Such a, yeah. It's so interesting being on the other side where we're asking the questions, you yeah. know, because it just, I feel like it's a therapy session for you, but we get to know so much more about And just learning other. your personal story. Yeah. yeah you totally. know, and who makes you really feel. amazing. This was awesome, guys. We hope you enjoyed this. (laughs) And we hope you enjoyed these little series. If you guys do like them, let us know because maybe we'll come up with some different ways or formats to interview each other. And also, we are listening to you guys on our Instagram page and we know that you guys want to start seeing some guests which we're going to start incorporating. So leave us your comments and suggestions on who you want to see and what kind of expert you want to hear from. You guys, we are so grateful for your loyalty. We see that, you know, so many of you that have been listening since our first episode are continuing to listen but we are so desperately trying to grow you know we want to reach more moms we want this mommy group to get bigger so screen grab your phone right now and share this on your stories at mommy group pod invite friends to listen if there's a funny moment you know we i love when a lot of you guys will uh quote you know what what moment you liked um and uh share share this podcast you know we love seeing that online so please do that for us subscribe share if you have time leave a little um, review for us because that also helps people find us. Alright guys. We love ya. Thanks. And I'm, Bye. I'm sweating again. I swear, <laughs> I swear to the mommy hormones.